Welcome to Under the Great Lakes Podcast. My name is Gabe with my co-host Ben and Jacob, this time on Discord chat and not in person because I'd like to switch it up a little bit. This week we... We were getting too chummy. Yeah, we were getting too chummy. So this week, I'm throwing a curveball into here. We're not doing I'm Thinking of Anything. Instead, we're going to do The Invisible Man and why Jacob does not like this movie. What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. We are doing I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which is the new Netflix film directed by Charlie Kaufman, which was released a couple weeks ago, and we're kind of late on it, but we we had a busy couple of weeks anyways, so it's fine. Everyone's got their time now to you know, get into it and seen it by now. This is the one movie that's like hasn't really been in theaters and that you know hasn't been this is the first free movie that's been out that we've talked oh I guess no no, no. <laughs> the five bloods <laughs> five bloods but yeah anyways that's it that's all I got so here you go Ben give us some news give us what's what's popping all right uh just a light box office update this week uh not too much just from the last weekend we still got tenant. In first place, it's just made under seven million. New Mutants not going strong anymore with two point one, and everything else made under two million. Broken Hearts Gallery made one point one, which is nothing to really talk about, but like it's an Ontario-made film, so that's kind of cool. Me and Mary saw it last night. It was uh, okay. Uh, if you really like to support Canadian cinema, go see it. If you like going to see good movies, maybe don't. But it's okay. It's all right. It was nice to see a campy rom-com, just to buy the numbers rom-com. It had some heart to it. I liked the characters. Also, the only crazy box office update this week is a total rumor, so take this as you will. But I just saw a report today, because uh, Disney Plus doesn't, the same way that Netflix doesn't really report their numbers. And, well, this one's weird, though, because it's a streaming service that is taking money for their premiere access film or whatever. So it's $35 here in Canada, $30 in the U.S. I don't know how much it is in the rest of the world, but apparently there's a report that Mulan has actually surpassed Tenet's global box office. And the report actually says that Mulan has made over $250 million domestically. So just between like us in the States and Mexico, if they have, I'm assuming they have Disney Plus there now. I think Disney Plus is everywhere now, right? I think Tenet's still just as just over 200 million internationally or sorry globally so like that'd be insane if mulan after all the controversy and that like steep price tag on disney plus made more than tenet did that fast i don't know how much validity there is to this it's not necessarily a rumor it is more of a report but it's not been confirmed by either source well that's like seven million people like seven million people purchased mulan that's how much it would it would come out too. Well, no, that's like eight million, which is still a lot. And you have to you have to think that's eight million purchases, but like how many people are watching it per account, right? But yeah, that one's pretty crazy to me. I don't know how true it is, but we'll we'll wait and see. I don't know if Disney Plus is even going to announce how much they make later on officially. Kind of annoying that streaming services are just weird like that. Like every once in a while, Netflix will come out and be like, oh this many hundreds of millions of people watched bird box and it's like why don't you do this with any other movies or any of your shows like um, anyway we'll move on to the broader news spectrum most of our news is actually disney plus related this week got a lot of disney plus stuff mandalorian dropped their season two 
trailer poster and recently had the release date of October 30th. Did you guys watch the trailer? I forget. I guess Gabe. No, you didn't watch that show, Gabe. No, I did not. Jacob, you watch it? No. What? You didn't watch the trailer? Wait, sorry. I missed it. What did you say? <laughs> I was just reading something. I was looking up the box office for uh, Tenet because I was just hearing that it's kind of looking like a disaster for the United States. Yeah. But then you guys went over it. I was just saying Mandalorian season two. You watch the trailer? Oh, no, actually, no, I didn't watch it, though. <laughs> I kind of want to hold out. It really doesn't show much. Like, I was expecting it to have a lot of the things that have been, like, rumored and reported for this season. It's very light on spoilers. It's kind of just nice to see him and Baby Yoda back on the screen. It's a nice little trailer. I'm pretty stoked. Yeah. Um, and then we got casting for She-Hulk, Tatiana Maslany. So not Alison Brie, like a lot of people thought. Uh, I'm all for this casting. I think she's great. I haven't, I've seen in a few episodes of Orphan Black, but I never got, like, religiously into it or anything. I liked it from what I saw, though, and I know she's great. Uh, if you guys don't know her that well, in Orphan Black, she plays, like, probably over 20 different characters, because the whole show is about her character being cloned or something. I think it's, it's all about the mystery of that. I actually saw her live on Broadway um, it was in the, the Brian Cranston play that I saw down there for Network. It was like the adaptation of the 1976 film. She was great in that. That was really cool. So I'm all about that casting. I don't know about you guys. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen her or anything, but that sounds really cool. Yeah, Mark, I've never seen her in anything either. Like welcoming her into the MCU today. So rumors that his Hulk's going to be in the Disney Plus show too. So that'd be cool. Apparently Loki resumed filming today or yesterday. And then they announced... That WandaVision's for sure coming out at the end of the year, which is weird because I don't think Falcon and the Winter Soldier is. Because Falcon and the Winter Soldier was supposed to come out in August, and I think the earliest rumored release date for WandaVision was October, November. Maybe they're separate enough that they can kind of get away with it. It's just weird that that's the one that's ready, though. Like, if they were supposed to have Falcon and the Winter Soldier ready to release months prior to WandaVision, and then they both kind of resumed filming at the same time, it's weird that only one maybe WandaVision didn't have much left to film because there's not a I don't know it doesn't feel like there's as much action in that one maybe yeah that's what my guess it seemed like that one was a lot more self-contained because it sounds like it's a story just between her and Vision for the most yeah. part while the other one's kind of like I don't know I'm kind of assuming like Falcon and Winter Soldier is going to be like a eight hour action movie <laughs> yeah, and it seems like they're filming all over the world too like I know they were filming in Prague before so it, it, it's definitely a, a hard or yeah. a harder series to just get back to filming. But I'm actually really excited for WandaVision because I'm looking for... I don't know, Marvel movies are always like big in scope, so I'm kind of interested in seeing if they can do a movie that's, from at least what it sounds, somewhat smaller scale, you know? There's Ant-Man, but that's still a big action movie, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's by far... It sounds very, like, character-driven. most anticipated of all the Netflix series, so I'm, I'm really stoked it's coming out this year. Pretty much the rest of my news, it's one other thing kind of movie-related, but it ties into all this, is all PlayStation 5 related because there was that big PS5 like event that they had. I didn't know we were going to talk about this. You don't want to? <laughs> oh, we could go well, on for so long about this. They announced the <laughs> price date finally, the price point for it. It's $500 Canadian. No, 500 okay. Let's all say our favorite thing from it. The thing you're most excited about. Gabe, did you see anything from this? Yeah, of course I did. Were you like watching trailers and stuff? Yeah, I'm trying to get my girlfriend to pre-order me one. <laughs> I'm stoked for Hogwarts Legacy. I've been waiting for them to officially announce it since that leak, like, two years ago, so. Buddy, bad week for uh, any Harry Potter stuff. Bad week to promote that. 
But yeah, it, I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, this does look cool. But I don't know. I'm not going to do it. Can't buy into that. Yeah, Harry Potter gonna, anymore? I mean, I've been over Harry Potter for a while. I got the movies. I'm not like watching the new ones, really. So Yeah, well, that's because she writes them, though. Like, those movies suck. I don't think she has anything to do with this game, though, so... Gabe, what's your favorite thing? That's my, um... Ooh, good question. Couldn't fucking tell ya. I'm drawing a blank. I'm excited for God of War, though. Yeah, that's more of a teaser, just like an announcement, but I'm super stoked on that. I don't know how I feel about the new Spider-Man. I don't know. I I mean, I'll play it, but... Uh, it looked... Looked like a lot of the same to me. I like that he has a kind of different style of gameplay, but like, it looks like it's gonna be really flashy, and it's gonna be a well. It's not a full game. Kind of like it's a headache. Like not like a full length game. Apparently, it's just a smaller thing. Yeah, but if it's cheaper, then you know. Yeah, I guess. I'm just gonna buy that on PS4 because I'm not gonna get a PlayStation Five until next year. Well, yeah, and you can get the uh, the upgrade, so that's pretty sweet. Like, it just comes for free. There's a bunch of games that are yeah, doing cool. that. Yeah, not Call of Duty though. Making you pay ten dollars extra for the cross gen. That's kind of what I figured they would do. So I'm glad that any That's any games doing better it than at having all. to pay the full ninety, which is also yeah ninety. Yeah, now, exactly. so Get ready for that, and that's ninety American. I'm pretty sure. Oh. So it's going to be like one ten here potentially after taxes. Yeah, Nintendo games have always been super expensive though. So I'm kind of used to it. The big one that I'm excited for that I I don't know. I heard like. I didn't really hear any rumors about this, but apparently they've been cycling for a little bit. It's uh, Final Fantasy 16. I have no clue really what it's about, but it looks like they're kind of going back to uh, the medieval aesthetic. Because they kind of been more modern in the last few games. So I think they were trying to capture like the, I don't know, like Final Fantasy 7 interests that people have, where it's like cars and like machinery and stuff like that. I'm really excited to see what they're doing. It's like, kind of... A, Picking up the gameplay from the last game, so it'll be interesting to see that. Yeah, all around, like, I'm kind of excited for a PS5. There's not a ton of games I'm stoked for, but have you guys heard of a? You heard of Deathloop? Yeah, yeah, it looks whatever to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. I'm really curious what that game's gonna be because it's multiplayer. Like, what exactly is it? Like a story game where someone else is trying to kill you while you're playing it? <laughs> That's what I thought. Maybe that'd be. That's what I'm expecting. But like. If you're playing as the girl, like, is that your whole mission? Is just to kill the guy? Like, there's, I don't know, it's a bit of a mystery, like, what exactly you're going to be doing as her, because that just doesn't seem like a, a balanced game at all. Either that, or it's just like a call for a challenge, where it's like, the, the, the thing I really like about it, though, is if you die, I'm really hoping that, like, you don't, like, you'll be able to have something that'll save your progress in some way, where you can kind of, like, keep, like, a notebook or something like that, so each time you finish a mission and you die or something like that you like keep the progress on that mission because you know how it ends up and stuff like that i don't know it seems like a really interesting way to approach a game and i have no clue exactly the logistics of it yet i hope it's a little bit open world because that'd be the most interesting thing like an open world story game wasn't uh i haven't played it but death stranding doesn't it kind of have an element of that where like any other players that leave stuff in the game like they leave it for you even though it's an open world environment yeah yeah i don't really know how that works you don't see them in the game though but like in this one there's just gonna be someone tracking you down (laughs) i don't know i think the game though it sounds like just like a call for challenge where it's like can you imagine playing trying to think of a shooter i don't know let's say call of duty (laughs) 
and then someone comes and tries shooting you down while you're playing the story like every now and then that'd be so intense <laughs> it just sounds so frustrating but so fun i don't know i'm really curious what that's gonna be about i have no cool. clue so. i'll wait till we see more about it um yeah. the only final thing that i have here are two little updates on the uncharted series in general they started filming the movie again and we got our first look at tom holland and mark Wahlberg. As oh wait really not like an official look it's just pictures that were taken to them on set uh it's not a great first look because it's just them it looks like it looks like tom holland and mark Wahlberg on the red carpet premiere to see the uncharted movie <laughs> like it's just them in front of a flashy car uh, and they're wearing suits, and Mark Wahlberg is clean-shaven, unfortunately, which is super, super disappointing to see. So we're not going to get that classic Sully stash. I see, I see. Not cool, not cool. Maybe the sequel? <sighs> Maybe. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm not going to lie, I'm not very excited. I've kind of movie. given up on it being faithful and being what I want it to be, so I'm just hoping it'll be a blast. You know, I'm hoping it's more like Uncharted inspired than it is, because at this point, it's not what I want. Yeah, I still don't know how to feel about Mark Wahlberg in that role, but I don't know. <laughs> Nolan North was doing a bunch of interviews in like a live stream yesterday. And someone asked him about the possibility of an Uncharted 5. Uh, it's not like an update or anything, but he just said that he'd be super open to doing it again. He said that. He, uh, he thinks it's done, and he likes the way it ended the series, but he says years from now, if they ask him to come back and put the mocap suit on, he doesn't think he could resist the urge. And, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd ever really be down for a sequel. I like the way it ended, but I do love those games, so... Wait, wait, you, you, did you guys play I the... did. I played the four of them. Okay. I didn't play the other... I can't remember the other one. Lost Legacy. Which was... I didn't play that either yet. Yeah. I own it. I still I didn't play it. that. I don't know. I didn't really, like feel that was that good of an yeah, ending. Yeah, but, but it was very final. I don't like the ending of 4 without spoiling it. I have a lot of issues with it, but it's so final that I don't want another game because it would just retread the same waters as 4 for the first three quarters at least. Like It would just be another game about you know, bringing yeah. him out of retirement. Yeah. Question of the week. Y'all want to go to that? <laughs> yeah. Alright. So... <laughs> I'm so not prepared. It's oh been too God. long that you we forgot. Write... Okay, so here's my <laughs> here's my question of the week. All right. Um, what <laughs> what is your favorite Charlie Kaufman movie? We might all have the same answer. This is going to be a very <laughs> uninteresting question. Mine is Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Dude, what's your least favorite Charlie Kaufman movie? Because, yeah, mine's Eternal Sunshine I'm thinking well. of ending things. Yeah. <sighs> no, 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 no. Uh, Probably Anomalisa I think for me. I put Cinerdoce New York. So you never watched that one? Wanna, yeah, that's what I put on Letterboxd. I don't know. It's between that and Anomalisa for me, but I'd like to rewatch Cinerdoce. Cinerdoce? Cinerdoke? Nope. <laughs> I, I thought it was Cinedoke. too, but I was looking it up the other day, and it... Is it Doce or Doke? I can't remember. I was going to say, though, I've never seen, like, Human Nature or Confessions of Dangerous. Mind. Yeah. But uh, I'm looking forward to uh, Chaos Walking. <laughs> it's not going to be good, but he has a, he has a credit on there. So it's going to be very interesting. I feel like it might have been, um, maybe he was running low on money. <laughs> it must have been 
only seen the same. We've all seen the six movies, right? The same six ones? Have you seen Anomalisa, Gabe? Uh, not since it came out. Okay, but you've seen it, though. Yes. Have you seen it being John Malkovich in Cynodoke? Not Cynodoke. I have not seen Cynodoke. Okay. Have you seen... Sorry? Adaptation? Oh. Adaptation? Oh, Adaptation? I don't think I have, actually. I had this thought, though, where with his movies... Okay. <laughs> they, like, it's kind of interesting. They remind me in some way of, like, a Thinking Man Nolan movie. Where it's like they all get you in on this like mindfuck concept, and then they kind of turn into something else, you know. And a lot of them, for like for Nolan, he does a lot of like genre movies, and for this one, he does just such radically different things. But then they're all kind of just very familiar at the same time. Like I don't know, I feel like this one. I don't is know kind if of... Eternal Sunshine or Adaptation really do that. Like get you hooked on like a concept and then do something else. Well, I feel like they just explore the concept and they go further and further with it and become something more interesting. Where with like Anomalisa, I didn't really like it because I feel like once you get the concept, it just kind of stays yeah. there and they do There's nothing one, with it. You know? We talked about that too. There's the one scene halfway through Anomalisa where like it seems like it's about to take it in a very different way. And I was like, I don't know what this means for the movie, but I'm really excited now because I, I thought I had the entire movie under control. And then that scene is just a dream sequence. And it goes right back to what it was. And I was like, oh. Super disappointing. Yeah. I just think uh, his, his movies kind of like grow and evolve as they go on. I think that was the one Anomalisa where it just kind of feels like it stays yeah, in the same place. Very stagnant. It didn't, nothing really excited me. This one, I feel like, though, there's so many exciting surprises in it. And it's so weird and different. In a way, like, I've never really seen anything like it, but, like, also, it's so familiar. Like, there's so many movies that are surreal, but it's just very Charlie Kaufman-esque, and then also very unique to his, like, films as well. Yeah, I I only watched it the one time, like, the day it came out on Netflix. I really should watch it again. I don't know, I'm very conflicted on it now, just because I feel like I, I finished it, and I didn't know what to do with it, and then I spent the whole night thinking about it and coming up with these theories and I really liked what I was thinking and then I googled how what the book's about and I know they're different but like the book kind of made some things very straightforward and clear and it almost felt like the book was saying fuck you all your theories are dumb <laughs> and this is what it is and I really didn't <laughs> like what it was like I thought what it was in the book was very shallow if it's what it is in the movie like I haven't read the book so I don't know if it's explored in a deeper way in the book but if the same meaning of the book is translated into the film, I feel like it's just very shallow and it cuts a lot of the cool stuff I liked about it out. I was going to say, that's definitely like a conversation we'll hold off for a little bit just because that's yeah, we'll definitely we'll going to be like spoilers and diving into it. Gabe, what do you think? What do you think of the, the movie? Are we just hopping right into this? Yeah, yeah right. I don't know. We've talked about Charlie Coffin for like a minute. Let me, let me do my thing. This is kind of our general thoughts. Okay. Let me explain this movie. So we're hopping into this review now. Okay, okay. Yeah? It just seemed like a natural I don't care. Well, we got to give conversation. We got to give the people who 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 uh worked on this movie All right, some give, credit. Yeah, give him give him the credit. Give him the credit. All right. So I'm thinking of ending things. If you haven't watched it yet, pause this review right here. Go to your Netflix and watch it. Uh it is a movie. It's directed by Charlie Kaufman. 
and it is starring Jesse Buckley, Jesse Plemons, Tony Collette, and David Thulis. 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 Yeah. Thulis. But it is okay. Here's 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 what it's about. Full of misgivings, a young woman travels with her new boyfriend to his parents' secluded farm. Upon arriving, she comes to question everything she thought of, she thought she knew about him and herself and the world around her. So yeah. Anywho, what was the question you asked me before I did that? What do you think of the movie? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie was uh kind of confusing and kind of weird and kind of off. But you know, overall, after I gave it some thought, I did enjoy it. It but it isn't for everyone, and I will say that with full confidence that not everyone's going to enjoy this movie. Some might hate it, but I guess it's really gets narrowed down to what you like and how much you want a movie to give you information wise if that makes sense but overall i enjoyed it personally i i have met people and talked to people who didn't enjoy it at all and i understand why there are there are aspects of this movie that can definitely be seen as not not great depending who you ask but yeah that's what I thought of it. I think like a lot of it too is just like a lot of it's kind of interpretable where they don't really spell things out for you in the movie a lot of the time. And if you're not like kind of like coming at it from the right angle, it can just kind of feel like a complete mess, you know, where it's just like nothing makes sense. And it's not in a good way, you know, but it's like there are things that link the stories like the, the, the scenes together. It's not just completely like surreal for no reason, you know. I was going to say, though, before we, like, kind of dive into the movie first, I think we should just talk about some things about the movie. Like, there's not really a lot of uh, actors and actresses that are, you know, have a lot of roles that are going to get nominated this year. But I'm really hoping uh, Tony Collette <laughs> nails it for this year because, like, oh, my God, she is so unsettling and just so, like, weird, funny, and, like, creepy. <laughs> Like I can't take my eyes off her when I'm whenever she's. I could see any of the four getting nominated at this point, and that's not a total testament yeah. to their role in this movie, but also a testament, like a statement on the year and the scarcity of good roles. Uh, but I think it's somewhere between. I think they're all great. I just think, and like, if this was last year, I would not have said David Thewlis should be nominated for supporting actor. But in in this year, I think that he could have a shot. Yeah. I did think, though, like, everyone's really great in their roles. I really liked um, Jesse Buckley. Uh, David Thewlis is just, like, in everything I've seen him in, I've only seen him, like, some Harry Potter, and then uh, he's in the last season, like, season three of Fargo. Actually, three out of four people in this show, in this movie, are in Fargo. But, uh, yeah, he plays, like, the villain. He plays the villain of the season, and he's just, like, just so creepy and so weird. just the parents are great. I thought like everything in the house was just like fantastic. That was simply my favorite <laughs> part of the movie. And uh, on top of that too, like I think there's just so many little details in this movie that like actually I'll, I'll hold on off on that because that's a bit more spoiler talk. But uh, I don't know. I just like the way that Charlie Kaufman takes things that are great about his movies, like kind of the dialogue in the situations that he uses before, and then turns them into this like uncomfortable just weird way with this movie where it's just like i don't know it's just i found it very like just 
unsettling in times where it wasn't like scary or anything like that. You're not jumping up or anything like that, but you're just like weirded out very much. Like, I think because this this movie's an adaptation of a book too. It's weird for me because I feel like most of his other movies have so much of him in them. Like adaptation is the obvious choice because it's literally about him. Like he's the main character, a fictionalized version of himself. And it's about, yeah. in a way, like how he struggled with writing the adaptation of that novel. Um, but like Synodoke, New York or whatever, um, Anomalisa, like I think there's a lot of him in those movies. And this is the one where it's like, yeah, like all of his movies, there's a, there's a lot of him for sure. But this is the one where it's like I don't I, I don't know how much of it is him or how much of it is the novel or just how much he related to the novel. Yeah, I'd be very curious to to read the book because I haven't gone around to it or anything like that. The only thing I've really heard is that like the ending is very violent in the book, when this one is very. I mean, the whole movie's surreal, but this is like a very dreamlike sequence. It's kind of unlike anything else in the movie for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no, this movie's. Uh, so I mentioned this when, like, after I watched it. I think we talked about it briefly. But I did love the sound design in this movie. I thought that was my favorite part. Everything, everything that goes on in the house, to them driving to and from the farmhouse. Just the small little details of the noises you hear, and when there's there is a lot of. I wouldn't say empty space in this movie, like as far as dialogue goes, because they're they are talking back and forth, um, just about like whatever. But I'm gonna call that like empty space for now. There isn't anything really going on in the background other than just them driving in certain scenes and like looking at each other and talking or saying their what's on their mind. And it seems like a lot of the sounds that they put into this movie to create the atmosphere seemed like amplified which was kind of unsettling at points um as they're leaving the farmhouse there's like noises of like the windshield wipers because of the snowstorm just scraping the um the windshield and the tire chains like going through the snow and everything it's just it just seemed a lot louder than it was like as time went on and you're kind of stuck in this small claustrophobic space for an extended period of time. It just felt kind of nerve-wracking. And like, okay, what the fuck's going to happen now? And why are these noises so... Like, why is there so much emphasis on these sounds and noises? It, like, it's interesting. That, that was my favorite thing. Just while noises are happening, they're, like, amplified to kind of intensify the scene. Like, there are a lot of moments where later in the movie, a noise that happened previously will be brought back, even though what creates that noise isn't there in the moment or like their voices will be distorted or altered in certain ways. So like, there's a lot of really interesting choices with sound design throughout the entire film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, I feel like everything's kind of, there's a lot of things that keep on working on a different bunch of different layers. Like there's a bunch of times in the house and I'll, I got this written down, so I'll come back to it later where there's like shaking that hits like the door or the house, like, Things from outside, just like the wind, you can hear like, run, like getting louder and louder and stuff like that. And like it not only like drives the tension in the scene in a lot of times, but like it kind of like 
hints that things are going going away when like certain lines are said, certain things happen. It's very very interesting, and there's a lot of like little subtlety to what happens. I've seen it a few times now, so I'm just kind of noticing the little details in it now. But there's a lot of really interesting stuff in the sound design for yeah, sure. Yeah, you only watched it once, right, Gabe? Yeah, I only watched it once well, a few days ago. I'm at the point now where I've seen it three times. <laughs> yeah, there's one thing I've written down that oh, I really want to ex- explain this, but I can't. So I'm just going to skip over it for now and think of something else. I feel like let's go back to just Kaufman in general before, and then we can go full spoilers. So I feel like at this point, anyone. Yeah, because I just have a lot. That's spoilers. Yeah, it's hard to talk about this movie without, because everything kind of falls into one place. Like I can't talk about the beginning without also talking about theories at the ending and stuff. Like I kind of want to talk about it all as one film. So let's just go more in depth into Kaufman, yeah. and then we'll go full spoiler territory. Yeah, I, I don't know about you guys, but now that I've seen a lot of his filmography, I I really prefer him as just a screenwriter, and it has nothing to do with his directing per se. I think he's a great director. I just of, of the movies he's only written and of the movies he's written and directed, I much prefer the movies that he's... I know you don't agree with that. I'd say that's just like his earlier... I think it's just his early work versus his later work. Where I feel like his later works, he's really put himself... I mean, adaptation it is, but it's also so out there. Adaptation I feel like, is such a weird... Yeah. Almost mistake of a movie. Like, how did that get made? Yeah, it's a miracle. Like, but that's another thing that's really exciting about his movies too. Where each time I'm like, "How did this movie get made?" Like adaptation and being John Malkovich, I'm like, only in like the '90s and early 2000s could something that out there be made. <laughs> being John Malkovich, especially, like that's just. The I, I truly thing. think that the movies he's making now are exactly what he wants to make. I think you can see that in adaptation too. Like when you hear Nicolas Cage as Charlie Kaufman talking about the kind of movie he wants to make throughout the entire film. Like, I feel like he's now making that movie. You know, like, these are the movies that Nick Cage's yeah. version of him wanted to make an adaptation. And I feel bad for not liking it as much because I really like the idea of that and the idea of having full control and that a movie doesn't have to be about plot. It doesn't have to... He kind of dumbs it down a bit in adaptation where it's kind of just, oh, not everything has to be action and romance and love triangles. Uh, but I, I don't think his older movies are that when there is plot and metaphor combined i always kind of prefer when a filmmaker does that i think some people can say it's it there's these movies that are very metaphorical and like heavy on the themes and then the studio says oh put some plot into it to make it more interesting and like easily accessible to the audience but i feel like it's more of an accomplishment to merge those two than it is to do one or the other you know you can do a movie that's all plot without a lot of thinking or you can do a movie like this where it's really no plot and all metaphors but I, I always prefer when you can kind of combine them both make it interesting as a story with great characters but also have a lot to look into on rewatch that's fair i can see that for to sure. me it just it doesn't feel like these these last three movies have done that as much yeah i kind of feel like with this one a lot of it like this one's definitely like the loosest probably in plot this in anomalisa i mean, becoming like increasingly just like Actually, his last three movies have increasingly more loose and plot, for sure. Anything but, in that uh, happened, really. Yeah, you're right. With this one, though, I feel like a lot of it, though, is so good because it's just the experience of it, you know? Where it's like you can enjoy it and just be, like, immersed in this world and, like, kind of go through the com- like conversations and try to figure it out. And a lot of it is, isn't is very exciting, 
But if you're kind of like brought into that world and you can kind of get on board and you're thinking about it, there's a lot more to take away and a lot more to like to dissect that it becomes a more rewarding experience for me. Though I do prefer something like uh, Adaptation and Eternal Sunshine of Spotless Mind. Because I think I kind of prefer those kind of movies that are a bit more balanced between the two. Where they're a bit, bit more exciting, a bit more plot, and a bit more thinking. I know these are the movies he wants to make as well, and I agree. But with this one, I feel like it kind of hit me in a better spot than did Cinedoc or Anomalisa. Just because it kind of fits better as a horror movie. Like that's something that's never seen as a horror movie. As well as working really well as a Charlie Cox. Yeah, this is definitely one that I think I could like more and more as I watch it. I just don't, I don't know, I don't have the urge to watch it again right now. Like, I was trying to for the podcast's sake, and I just didn't have that push to want to. Also, I was going to say, Anomalisa is kind of, like, weird middle ground, where it, it technically is straight plot. I, I, I think everything that happened in that movie happened. It's very character-driven. It's, it's kind of, I don't, it obviously isn't happening the way that the main character thinks. And if anyone hasn't seen it, this isn't a spoiler, it's just kind of the point of the movie, but... Uh, it's just kind of about a, a, a middle-aged man. He's probably 50, uh, and he's like a famous, inspirational author. And he's just going to a hotel for the night, and he like starts falling in love with this woman. And everyone else in the movie besides him and this woman, Lisa, all have the same face and are all voiced by the same male actor. And they don't change... He doesn't change his voice. It's all the same voice. But it becomes like clear very quickly on why all that is happening and I obviously i don't think it's really happening i think it's just a statement on the main character so that one's kind of weird where it definitely is plot related i think that one's just kind of shallow after a while it's like oh i really like it's not even shallow because I, I really like that and there's a lot to explore with that just not enough for a whole movie i think it would worked better if it was probably like 45 minutes and got kind of right to the point because it kind of feels like it it feels like it kind of says the point of the movie and then it just kind of walks around i think it <laughs> a lot a better as a play i would have loved to have seen that as a play because charlie kaufman wrote and directed the stage play in new york as well do you write it as a play yeah it yeah play. okay that's it was, yeah it was a play it was all yeah, the same definitely. actors too actually maybe not the the female lead i forget her name the girl from atypical do you remember her name what is her name wasn't it Jennifer yeah, Jason yeah, yeah. Lee? she's the mom from atypical yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee. Oh, I was gonna say like, uh, like Annihilation or Hateful Eight or something. Yeah, fair. I was, she, for some reason, she's very forgettable to me. I don't know why. I feel <laughs> bad. I, she's a good actress. She's just always forgettable to me. But yeah, the second you said that, I was like, yeah, she was in this. Really? I thought she was pretty great. In, yeah, like, she was. Like, the second you said that, I was like, oh yeah, um, she's in that, and she was great in it. But I always forget her. I'll probably forget <laughs> she was in that an hour from now. I feel like I feel like I should say though. I keep on. I, I said this one was really entertaining. That's a horror movie. But I feel like it is kind of mismarketed as a full-on horror, where it's like, oh, what's going on? Like, this is kind of messed up. I don't know. I feel like they kind of built up the Tony Collette hereditary vibe that people were thinking. And it's, if, you, like, if you're going in for something like that, that's not this movie at all. <laughs> not a chance. <laughs> uh, this movie was not a horror. I would don't go in thinking it's a horror. It's tagged as a horror everywhere. But it's not. No, I'd I'd say it's like an existential horror, where it's like this movie is very cynical and uh, it's very dark in what I it's saying. This movie could time. give you a lot of the same feelings that Hereditary does for the first thirty minutes. Yeah, it doesn't go full horror that Hereditary does. The 
Yeah. That, the first 30 minutes, and the one specific scene at Tulsi Town, and that's it. Those, I feel like, are, like, the closest thing to kind of the most horror you're going to get out of this movie. And then everything in between and after is more unnerving, unsettling. I didn't get too much horror out of the Tulsi Town scene. Yeah, like, I think everything's just kind of underlyingly, like, weird and kind of creepy. There's no, like, nothing that's, like, jumping out at you or anything like that. No, like, real shocking moments or anything. But it's all just, like, uncomfortable dread, you know? It's just, like, underlying horror. I think I kind of prefer that atmospheric kind of thing instead. Like, even in the lighting, where it's, like, the second half at night, it's just, like, you can't see anything. And it's just so creepy. And it's just, like, looks like an abyss of darkness, you know? That kind of plays into the movie as well, but I don't want to explain everything, so should we go to uh, spoilers now? Yeah, one last thing I was going to say, because I just realized it now. I didn't realize it was kind of a weird coincidence until just now, but the movie I saw last night with Mary, the Broken Hearts Gallery? Heartbreak Gallery? Yeah, Broken Hearts Gallery, I think. Is that rom-com I saw last night? And uh, there's one little moment where, like, at the beginning, she gets dumped, and then she goes to her apartment, and her roommates immediately, like, grab all, like, the cliches. They, like, grab her ice cream and chips and a blanket, and they bring over a Blu-ray or a DVD of uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And I was like, that is a great break. (laughs) But uh, that's literally all I wanted to say. So, yeah, let's go spoilers. All right, so if you're listening from here. Yeah, don't. Don't continue on if you haven't watched the movie yet. If you made it this far and you haven't watched the movie yet, it's going to be spoiled for you. So come back. Come back to this point. All right. So going in, Ben, I'm I'm curious what you were saying about the ending of the book. I feel like a lot of this movie is interpretable. In the movie, the ending of the book definitely solidifies what's happening. But I think there's a lot to still be left to interpretation that to go on with the character of Jake and like what's how you can perceive him as a person, but yeah. Okay, well, can I say the ending of the book, I think, at least what I read? Yes. Spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler for the book as I well. the ending of the book, it's made very clear that... What's the what's the girl's name? Jesse, Or I guess I should do the character's name. I oh, know she has so many, though. Fuck. <laughs> Lucy, Lucia. Just go with, just go with, just go with Lucy. Sure. Young, she's credited as young woman for the movie. Go with, go with Lucy. Let's we'll each call her consistent. something different. Okay, I'll, I'll, you do Lucy, Jacob. I'll do Ames, and you do Lucia, Gabe. Because those are all... It's really okay, all I'll do Lucia. It's similar. Because at first, I was like... I didn't even necessarily know if they were calling her. Cause I think I think I saw Lucy, and then Lucia. And I'm like, oh, is her name Lucia? But they called her Lucy. And then they were like, Ames. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I guess not. No, then there, <laughs> then there was Louisa. Yeah, and Yvonne. But Yvonne's her friend, I think. I forget about that whole Yvonne subplot. Okay, yeah, so, so go the on. The book, yeah, I guess yeah. it's made clear that she doesn't exist. And that they're all different women made up in Jake's head as, like, a way of him trying to come up with the perfect woman. But I don't, what you were saying, I totally agree with that. There's a lot to look into for Jake's character. But anything that I was thinking about for her character, any theories I had for her were kind of out the window there because she doesn't exist. <laughs> She's not a real person. These aren't real interactions. This is all just in Jake's head, I guess. Yeah, I didn't read the book, but that's what I pulled away first. The main characters you can really like pull away interpretations from are the parents and Jake. And then you can kind of get at different ideas, not specifically as one person for Lucy, but like you can see different like 
different responses that he's either anticipated women are going to have towards him are truly different things that have happened to him. Like, I think there's a lot of different ways to perceive how Lucy actually is. Like, he sees her as somebody that he wanted to go up to, but he never had the courage to do it. But, like, it's also possible he did have a girlfriend, and it's just, like, this is the personification of the perfect woman, the woman who, like, challenges him completely, doesn't really, like, stand by his bullshit, you know? But then, in the end, doesn't want him, you know? Realizes how pathetic he is. Or at least he thinks that's what would happen with a perfect woman because he's so insecure, you know? I, I also feel like because she doesn't exist, a lot of my theories on Jake, I guess, again, you, I could say, oh, maybe these are still real or out there and that this is what how he acted with his exes or something like that. But I don't know. I feel like a lot of the ideas I had going on were kind of tossed out the window, too, because of that. Like, uh, I feel like I should have wrote down some more notes for this, too. But I, I remember for a long time... I really kind of thought a couple of things at first. I think it was more about her being a, a blank slate and then just becoming whoever she's with. Like, I, cause she, she says something about that in the car ride to the parents' house before they get there. And I kind of thought the idea of it is that she's always just kind of latching on and becoming whoever she's dating at the time or whoever she surrounds herself with. Because it's, you know, something that a lot of people find themselves doing. And like, sorry, sorry to cut you off there, but there's a scene too at the dinner table where. Like, I swear she copies Tony Collette's laugh, and they kind of all become the yeah, same person. Creepy. And then there's the more obvious scene where she goes over and sees a picture of Jake, and it's a, his, he's really young, and she goes, who is that? And he's like, you don't know who that is? And she's like, I don't know, I think so. And he goes, that's me. That's me when I was younger. And, she's like, and then in her head and voiceover, she goes, wait a minute, no, that's me like what the heck why would he say that's him that's a picture of me how did he have that picture and i i, I will say when i watched it yeah. at first i didn't actually know who the picture was of i didn't know if it was a picture of her when she was a kid or a picture of him so it does kind of make things a bit more clear when i looked it up later and it is a picture of young jesse plemons oh, when i watched really? it at that's first cool. i thought it was a picture of her as a kid and i thought that was kind of creepier which it would have mm -hmm. changed on perspective like i almost wish it, it would have been a picture of young him and then just watched back to a picture of young her or something because that's still an open interpretation yeah. of if it was well obviously it's not her but you know what i mean like it makes things a bit more clear knowing that it is just a picture of young him what are you saying uh, i was just gonna say i feel like if it was a photo of her and not young jake it would have just completely changed the, the direction the movie was going or at least the <laughs> the theory or idea of what I think this movie is about. I thought if, if, if it was a photo of his girlfriend younger and not him, it would have just been a completely different movie after that, which I kind of want to see. That's a little fun, fun side note I had. I don't know. I, I feel like if it was that, then you'd be like, oh, like this guy's creepy. Like he's stalking her kind of thing. Yeah, like, that's no, what's yeah you really could go that way too. But I still think in a movie like this, there's always the, the strong possibility that that's not what the picture is, right? That's what Lucy's seeing or it's what... I know, I know what... I'm I know the way I'm interpreting it. I'm just saying. Hypothetically. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I don't think it's fair to say like, oh, I wish it was this. Like, I, it's not I, didn't say I, I, I didn't say so. I wish it was this though. Okay, okay. I, so I'm saying it'd be in interesting to see if it went in that way, what it would be. I was gonna say there are there are a lot of hints though suggesting that they are the same person person through the movie, 
the one I noticed on the last time that I wanted to get back to with the sound design was uh, there's a line of dialogue between um, Jake and his mom where she says to him, uh, Jake never really had any friends growing up or after. And she's like, do you remember your 50th birthday? He says, 20th? And she's like, oh, goodness, where's my brain? And the house shakes. Like, you hear the wind rattle up, and the house just shakes. It's like, that's such a small little detail, but given the fact that it's all taking place in Jake's head, it's such a meta little thing to happen. <laughs> yeah, that, that dinner scene was really what... Aside from when... I'm going to call her Louisa... But when Louisa goes up to his childhood bedroom and sees all the other stuff, which we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on in a second. But before that, uh, yeah, the dinner scene kind of gave away the general idea of what I thought it was about and kind of solidified that idea. Especially because, like, after the movie's done, I was thinking about it more with this theory that I had in mind. What was, what was your theory? Well, like, it's the same thing we're talking about. Like, this is all in his head. But I don't think... I think, like, this whole dinner thing with his parents and him being at this farmhouse, what we're seeing isn't happening. And I think this is just an evening played out through his head during his regular day-to-day work. And the reason I think that is because when they're at the dinner scene and his parents are kind of talking to uh, Louisa about, like, what she does and then asking her questions Every time they're asking her questions, Jake sometimes gets really angry or gets really short with them or like has an outburst. And I think that's due to him trying to play out the scenario with this fake girlfriend that he doesn't have in his head, kind of like daydreaming, but he doesn't have the answer to these questions. And his head starts trailing off trying to build these images and visuals in his head of his parents. Now they're asking questions and that's why he has outbursts is because he's trying to, like, sidetrack it or, like, get them to shut up because he doesn't have an answer to this, and it's just going to mess up his daydream. You know what I mean? So, like, that, that scene really... I I saw it more as, like, he wasn't having it throughout the day, but it was rather in that last moment when he's having, like, the mental, the mental breakdown. He's sort of, like, having his life flash before his eyes before he dies. And then, like, I, I, I... he kind of dies. What's that? I was going to say, the reason I think it was during, like, throughout his entire day is um, a lot of it because in the opening scene when Louisa gets picked up and looks at the, in the car and looks up in the window and sees somebody kind of looking at her and what you find out towards the end is you assume it, it's Jake looking out, or you know, it's Jake, old Janet Jake looking at her at the window. And I think from that scene... And that moment he looks at her outside the window. And now he's playing off this imaginary day throughout his head as he goes day to day to day doing whatever janitor duties he does. And when like they're when he goes and sees the students uh, rehearsing one of the numbers from Oklahoma that happens just after the scene when a song from Oklahoma plays on the radio as they're on their way to the farmhouse. And I think he like, for example, he sits down and he's watching them perform the song. And then as he's watching them and listening to the song, he's also imagining that. I was going to say at, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, but it's just like, yeah, the things that are happening in the day lined up where what's, what's happening yeah. in the dream. 
yeah, I don't know. I, I am kind of more on Gabe's side there, where I, I did think once I figured out like the book ending, I just assumed that that's why I kept cutting back to the janitor out of nowhere. That this is just old, lonely Jake janitor thinking all of this in his head. I was seeing it as as he was having more of like a mental crisis, like as he was dying, kind of thing. And he was seeing, he's picturing in why his life, dying, like like we were saying, because he. I don't think he makes it through the end of the movie for sure. I think it's kind of a debate of whether or not he does, but I I kind of saw it as he died in the end. Like the end end? And that the whole movie... Yeah, yeah. Like he died in the end and just like got cold, you know, in the night. Because I think there's the, the line where um, they're talking about the landscapes and I don't know exactly line for line, but David Thewlis basically says like, what's interesting about a landscape? There's no person in there. Like how can that display any emo- like display any emotion it's just like a piece of land and it's like in the last shot it is just like a picture of like the school and a truck but it, there is a person in there and it's like conveys so much emotion because you realize like this guy is gone now it's just snow over top of him but you realize no there is someone in there he's he's dead but do you think yeah i, just, I think he died too. Or do you think he was dying of something like i i think that's like that could be it for sure like but that would still work for what Gabe's saying too, of like throughout the day he's working at the janitor and then dies in the snow in the nighttime. I think yeah, I think he yeah. does die at the end. Like he, because there's that line that or his sickness or something. Like I thought that's what you were getting at. I think he ends up just. So there's the line before, like Louisa gets out of the. So they pull up to the school, and there's a line while she's waiting for Jake. After he's like, oh, someone was staring at us as after they kissed in the car. And he's like, oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go talk to them. And then she's sitting in there, and there's, there's a line she says about how I think it's like, how long does it take for someone to get hypothermia? And so that's at the end of the scene, or at the end of that, like the janitor goes back to his truck, and he like strips down completely, and like 15 minutes prior, or not even 15, like 10 minutes prior, there's the line about hypothermia. So I really just think he ends up killing himself by. I was, I was gonna say though i think we should get more to what this movie is trying to say i feel like we're taking this plot a little bit too literally and we should be kind of talking a bit more about the yeah. actual the i was gonna of say it. too the other thing i was thinking a lot of jake's character before not that i still I, I still could see this being true too but um for, for a while i kind of saw the movie being about this man who kind of takes pieces of his girlfriend's identity away from them and kind of takes control away from them, which is shown a lot with like anytime she's doing her voiceover and he can like kind of read her mind again, it makes sense if he's making her up because he's making her think these things. But for a while I kind of just saw it as like, he's so controlling of these women in his life that he knows that they're always going to have those thoughts of doubt and thoughts of trying to escape and thoughts of trying to end the relationship um and like that's why throughout the house he keeps like she keeps finding pieces of her life that way like there's her poetry book and then it's his poetry book and he keeps taking on her professions as well i kind of just saw it as like someone trying to steal her identity that way not like a criminal act but you know i could i could see that i saw kind of the different jobs that she had and what he had as well different careers that kept on getting brought up being more what he wishes he could have been you know like he just ended up only as a janitor and he keeps on thinking i noticed a lot of the movie it seems like he has this sort of like superiority complex 
about people where he like pities them and he thinks he looks at all the students and he's like look how sad they are and it's like look at yourself dude like you're like the saddest most miserable angry bitter person but he kind of like i don't know thinks he's above everyone else but at the same time he hasn't done anything for himself he's kind of had that internal crisis where he's realizing just how worthless he is and he wants this perfect woman like to save him from his life but he's also scared that like you know he realizes too just how pathetic he is and he's scared that they're just gonna spit in his face sounds a lot like and i think a lot of in all of his movies <laughs> well with coffin movies i've noticed too like he even makes this the point in like uh, adaptation where he says like people don't learn in real life and i think that's kind of what this movie is about where he has a whole midlife crisis and he flashes like flashes before his eyes but he doesn't really learn anything i think he kind of learns the wrong things if anything like that like near the end when um lucy like comes up to him or whatever and it says like you were nothing to me like i don't remember anything about you you were like insignificant like he kind of accepts it and then goes back and tries to like stop the the play that's going on like the dance that they have and he tries to steal lucy away back because he's like he's not he's not mature enough to realize the mistake and to realize like the real problem in his life came from him the whole time. Like, he was at the root of his mistakes. In the end, he's saying to the speech, like, he has a speech where he's uh, quoting from, like, Oklahoma, and uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw Beautiful Mind, but he copies the the ending monologue from that movie. Okay, I, know, I haven't seen it, but... Yeah, he copies the, the speech 100% every line. <laughs> and it's kind of like a speech that reaffirms him and everything he wanted. Like he says, like, in the end, I found out love was the answer. Like When you watched the movie the first time, did you know it was the Beautiful Mind speech? No, no, no. I, I read that afterwards, and I thought that was really interesting. But I, I had an idea about it that kind of, like, fell into that when I kind of read that. My idea of Jake is he's someone that, like, his idea of love has been, like, kind of twisted by the media that he takes in. Like, he watches this, this is, like, such a weird scene, the Robert Zemeckis like little pop-up that they have i think it's kind of supposed to show that like in that scene there's a guy that's like stalking a girl who's actually the girl uh a character from yeah the boys which is so weird to see her in something else so the guy's like stalking her and she's like telling him to like get away she's like ruining his job and she gets fired and then she's like the next scene she's like well you know oh well it's okay at least we're together and she like falls in love with the guy and then it shows directed by robert Smekis. And, like, he's happy watching this movie because it's like, oh, okay. At the end of the day, if I just try hard enough and I say the right thing and, like, don't leave this woman alone, that kind of love will be reciprocated to me. And so I think everything he's kind of believed in love has been shaped by what he watches. It's interesting, too, because there's that one shot where they're tracking in the car and then the actress... Jesse Buckley is there in the passenger seat and it turns to Jake and then it cuts back to her and it's that actress from the movie for like a split second or two. Yeah, yeah. Did you notice that the first time? Yeah, I did. I thought that was weird. I guess I, I noticed it too, but I know I was talking to my buddy Jordan. He said that he like didn't even see that his first time watching it because it's so quick. Where were we at a second ago? Oklahoma. And how come I keep watching things that bring up Oklahoma and it's one of the only musicals I don't know anything about? His idea of love, too, like, even with, um, what was that Christmas song that they were talking about? Baby, it's cold outside. Yeah, baby, it's cold outside. And they're saying how it's, like, basically, like, a song about ignoring consent. 
And it's just like, yeah, that song just reinforces like the more you just ask a girl and bother them, then they're going to give in and let you love them. It's like, I think Jake kind of believes in that, but at the same time, he wants to be, you know, I want, he think he wants to be saved by somebody else at the same time, but to take him away from his life. He just wants a woman so bad that he can't really keep his like life straight. I think there's a lot more about it too, like why he is the way he is. Like, so the way he's very self-critical, it's like whenever you see Jake's mom and like she makes a mistake, she kind of like makes herself feel like an idiot and she kind of like makes faces to, to show that she's like self-critical of herself. I think that kind of delves into Jake and how he is with himself where he beats himself up over everything he does. Yeah. So I feel like I'm going on here a little bit. Anyone else want to chime in or say anything? No, this is just your podcast now. I feel like the, the baby's cold outside part was a little on the nose. I don't know if it's just because it's been such a topical song in the last couple of years, but that part to me was a little bit too enforcing that he's that kind of guy that really just thinks if he keeps pushing harder and harder, like he's going to get the girl. Yeah, and like by the end, everyone's cheering for him, self-congratulating him, reaffirming him in his thoughts. I don't know, yeah. I feel like uh, I don't have too much else to say in this movie. I... You know, this movie, the, there is a lot. Okay, so <laughs> this movie's built on fucking metaphors. Let's just get that out of the way. This movie is just full of metaphors or meanings and stuff. And I feel like a lot of them just kind of get dissected and thrown in your face, like the explanations of them, at the end of the movie. Anything you doubted or anything you thought, you just kind of figure out at the end of the movie. But I don't think that's true at all, because I think there's a lot of things you can take away and learn on the second watching. It's not like the first time you watch it, you understand every single thing that's being said to you. I mean, like, so, like I still didn't understand everything off, like, the first, like, watch, and, like, immediately when I was thinking about it, I was like, there were some things, obviously, I didn't get, but there, there were other things that I just kind of easily picked up on, like the... Um, so obviously like one main thing in this movie is you're kind kind of trying to figure out like so is this Lucy person real or is she not real or like why is this why does she constantly uh, not I'm trying to figure out how to word it oh, like for example okay so why is the story of how they met constantly changing and stuff and why is this like why doesn't she just leave him if she's unhappy in this relationship and everything but then it just kind of unfolds at the end to me when she's talking to the janitor which is jake and she reiterates how they met when technically by saying like oh yeah i was with my girlfriend and this creepy guy was looking at us and he asked for my number and you have to be with a guy or a guy has to be with you for someone for another guy to leave you alone and like that line specifically just kind of undid that whole thing about them being together for me because i was like oh i was like this story keeps changing now i hear this line and i'm like okay so they never really were together and i kind of like built up more confidence i could say and what my idea of what this movie was about i don't know i just think that saying like oh yeah like i got the what the ending was it's like yeah, but there's still a lot more that's happening besides just yeah. I, it's in no, his head, I know. You know. I said that. Yeah, yeah. I said I didn't get everything, but like I, it's still valid for me to say that some things just kind of felt like we hit a point in the movie where it seemed like okay, you didn't understand this. Okay, here you go. 
here's like a gimme. So at least you can leave this movie taking away something that you can explain. I think the ending was pretty up in the air. Like, I'm not going to lie. I didn't, I didn't see it at first. I didn't, like, I had an idea that I thought it was the afterlife, but like, I didn't know 100% that it was in his head until like, they don't say it or anything like that. There's not, no line about it. Or yeah, anything. no, I definitely didn't get that idea the first time. No. I, I had to Google it. Like, I didn't know that it was in his head. And so, I mean, technically, but after I, I did, there I were interviews of... where Kaufman even said, like, it's not just like a, an exact translation of the book. For all we know, it's not that still. Like, just because it is in the book doesn't mean it necessarily is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I never read the book. Too, so, like... I didn't, like, I, I'm just as clueless as you guys are watching this movie. I'm just saying, though, there's, yeah, there's no line of dialogue yeah, that explains anything. It's not like anything. it's ever like, made explicitly clear. I don't know. Well, like, sorry. Fuck. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, some things were just kind of thrown in my face. Like, with the pig, too. When I see the pig at the end, I'm just like, okay. So he let his thoughts take over. No, I saw it more as, like, the, the pig that they saw earlier in the farm that was kind of, like, rotting with maggots. It's just kind of, like, you know, the dec- decaying dec- of life, you know? How it's, like, inside everyone's kind of gonna grow old they're gonna grow like they're gonna die you know and it's sort of the ugliness and the beauty of that well i think it's interesting too that they said that the the pigs if you looked at them for days it just looked like they were pigs that were fine and they were cuddling together and then when they rolled them over it's only then that they noticed on the other side of them that they were being eaten alive by maggots and that they were in all this like yeah and i think that's kind of an idea of like you could you could take that as a metaphor for mental illness too, like all these people that you see and they look happy on the outside and they look normal and fine, but when you get to the inside, it's they're you know shockingly depressed. Yeah, something's something's eating away. So maybe people, them, yeah. maybe these students are roaming the halls of the school and they just see this janitor and they don't think anything of him. He looks fine, but like he's really hurting on the inside. Yeah, it's like he's one hundred percent like you know like suffering from depression, maybe suffering from like dementia like he's going kind of losing his mind a little bit one thing i'll say really quickly was i like too that the cinematography kind of matches on what's happening inside of his head like kind of feels claustrophobic but it's also literally you're not seeing the full picture of what's happening you know you're just you can't see beyond the borders of jake's own mind i think it works for a lot of different reasons and it kind of all comes together very well and outside of all just like the 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 thematic and uh you know the depth to the metaphors that you can take away i think there's just a lot of interesting things that they do in this movie with like sound design i think the performances are really unique and it's like a very unique experience especially out of his movies it's very stands out to me as well as like kind of a mix between eternal sunshine and maybe like uh i don't know Doke, new york a little bit and uh yeah it's just very very well done i love there's not many much music, but the music in the movie is fantastic, I thought. It has the kind of one little motif that they use over and over again. But it really brings it home each yeah, time. I, I wouldn't go in-depth talking about the score or anything, but I thought it, it worked really well for the movie. Yeah, no, I think it's uh, it's really interesting how, like, Synodoke, New York is kind of the same thing as well, where it's like... The, the thinking yourself into a corner until you kind of think your life away, and you realize how much time has gone by and you haven't done anything of substance it's like you've always just been too scared to act that you've never done anything i think it's a it's a very human thing that people get to and they kind of dive at it in a lot of different ways in this movie 
where it's like he's always been so scared to talk to women. It's my interpretation of it. And he's never really had any life because, you know, he's scared of being put off by them. It's just an I think he wants movie. the perfect woman. No, that's underselling. I think, uh, yeah, though, like, him wanting the perfect woman is like, once he kind of realizes that there will be a, a woman that can, like, match him intellectually, she'll just see him for what he is. I think that's really what he's scared of. Because every conversation that they have about art, he kind of backs his, puts his back up and kind of shows just how shallow he is. Where it's like she has that takedown of the sexism and uh, a woman under the influence. And he's just kind of like, oh, like, I, I don't know. I think she's sympathetic. Like, he doesn't know what to say anymore. I don't know. I think there's a, there's a lot to take away from him. It's a, it's a good story about an insecure person. I feel like Charlie Kaufman's probably very insecure. <laughs> yeah, it worries but, me um, sometimes how much of himself he pours into these movies. Because <laughs> I'm like, is he... Yeah. And, like, again, like, adaptation, his, his character says, like, people don't really change, people don't really learn or grow. It's like, does he really still... It's weird that he can show so clearly that these characters think this way and that they shouldn't think this way and that it's it's messed up. And then he still makes movies about these characters and they're kind of supposed to personify him. And it's like, do you still... Like, I guess he just can't escape that, right? Like, he's just got all these haunting insecurities that won't leave him. So I think it's, yeah, all of his movies are super personal, and this one is just really compelling. Like, I don't know, he's done such, I don't know, I think a lot of his movies kind of feel similar, and this is the one that sticks out lately to me as the most, like, out there. It's, it's my favorite unique. of the ones he's directed. I do really like it. Gabe, you have anything else to add on? Mm, nope. Nope, that's it. I don't have much to okay. add. One last little thing. is uh, I like, too, that they kind of allude to it. Jake always wanting to return to his youth. That's a big part of it. He felt like he was more capable when he was younger. He was more handsome because he's very insecure of himself. There's uh, theories people have on this movie about like, you know, obviously it's about not being happy with yourself, but I've heard ideas it's about like body dysmorphia and gender identity. So uh, I think that's also kind of worth searching up and kind of making an analysis about. I think there's a lot that could be going on there as well. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, this movie's depressing as shit. Right away, but yeah, I could see that. If anything, it's like, he could see himself as wanting to beat her because she's better than who he is. And she's like, what he could be. Yeah, it's definitely not a feel-good movie. Don't watch this if you want to be put in a good mood. It's a cynical movie, for sure. I mean, I think all of his movies are pretty cynical. I don't know, this one feels... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like a lot of his movies are kind of positive, and this is the first one that's really like, there's there's no happy ending. This guy reaffirms himself in his own messed up beliefs, and he dies a miserable person. I think the only movie of his that you could really try and say that it ends on a positive note is Eternal Sunshine, and I would argue against that for sure. Oh yeah, no, absolutely not. Because I see Eternal Sunshine as well as mine. It's like they're repeating the same... <laughs> Same mistake over and over but again. But we uh, we showed that to a grade 12 philosophy class that I volunteered at last semester. And a lot of them thought it was a happy ending, that they were going to end up together. It's weird. No. When I was younger, yeah, that's what I thought. I never really considered the credits of the movie and how it keeps on looping over and over again and what that meant. And it's like, yeah, the idea is that they never have a happy ending. They keep on reaffirming themselves and their bad behavior. 
And I don't then, think I, you know the, they only end worse probably my for first it. time watching it, but I, I don't think I ever thought it was a a closed book happy ending where like I think I always kind of thought that yeah these people are never gonna learn. Yeah, I think literally like two two students and then me and the teacher were the only ones that were like, no, it's not a happy ending. And then we were like, is this a statement on how bitter we are as adults, or is it like ignorance as a young adult and these teenagers? You know, I'd like to say ignorance of young adults, but I don't know. Charlie Kaufman kind of feels like that in his his adult days now. So as he grows older, he only becomes more and more pessimistic. It seems. <laughs> But yeah, we should wrap it up now. Because... I do really gotta go right now. But yeah, so thoughts. I, uh, I this is this is a movie I really struggled with rating. I kept putting it between a three and a half and a four. I think I settled on a four just because I I love everything about the like production design and the the acting, the sound design, um, like the cinematography, the directing, everything. But the plot to me is like perfect. And then I do think there's a lot to delve into with what this movie's about. I just don't think it's my favorite, or I don't think it's the most yeah. interesting, but there are a lot of really cool things at play, so I think I'll settle on a low 4 out of 5. Basically the same as Ben said, from a technical standpoint, this movie like ticks all the boxes for me. Everything from sound design to even the performances from Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons were fantastic, especially Jesse Plemons, who... Like, his performance is, like, it's super awkward and off and unsettling, but he does it so perfectly, and I love that. But, yeah, the same with the plot. It's just, it's a little convoluted, and I know this is a movie you're supposed to take different things of it and interpret it in your own way, but sometimes it reaches a point for some people that it just gets too much and they lose interest, and I didn't personally lose interest, like... But I can understand if somebody said that it just was like too too all over the place for them or too unclear for them to pay attention. I think I saw a Twitter thread once about a movie like, or no, I think it was a tweet. I think you replied to it, Jacob, about if a movie's not interesting enough, they shut it off compared to people who just tough through it, right? <laughs> so, like, I can understand both ends. Like, I'm not... I'm not going to kill someone for saying a movie wasn't this movie wasn't good cuz I understand I can understand why they might not like it. It just takes a certain type of person. But I gave it a solid I think I gave it like a solid seven and a half. Yeah, seven seven and a half. I wouldn't go lower than that. That's it. Solid. Solid. Yeah, for me, I don't know. I feel like I've been kind of going towards movies that that are more weird in nature lately, where I just kind of like something that's a bit more challenging and a bit weird and just different. I feel like a lot of movies we've seen this year have been very, a lot of them have been very by the numbers, and this was the one that really had a voice to it. And, uh, I mean, not, not that like changes how I feel about a movie entirely, but it was just really refreshing to see something this, uh, this different and this off-kilter and unique. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. I think it's like, one of his most depressing <laughs> movies, but it was always very, very compelling. It's very dense, and there's a lot to take away from it. And uh, I'd recommend it to anyone that likes Charlie Kaufman movies. It might be a little bit more out there than the rest of his movies, but I think there's a lot to there's a lot of rewarding things to find on rewatches. And 
I don't know. On the first time, I thought it was just a great weird experience, and then the second time, and third time, and fourth time, I want to watch it again. Like it just becomes better and better, and you find more and more. Yeah, I might watch it again today. I got halfway through it, so I'm about three and a half watches through it actually. (laughs) Oh, I want to give it a ten star, but I might, I might wait because I feel like that still might just be a little reactionary. So I'm for now going to give it. A nine stars out of ten. Okay. Yeah, I love this one. It's my favorite movie of the year. It's uh, my third favorite Kaufman movie, actually. And uh, yeah, you have the I same top it. two: Eternal and then Adaptation. Yeah, and this yeah. is my third. It's my fourth. I, I put being John Malkovich above it just because I think that movie's a fucking absolute blast. Blast. <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure where I put this movie. I'm gonna check real quick. I know I didn't rank my Kaufman movies yet. You gave it a three. I did say. I was yeah, I completely understand. I completely understand if that's not your kind of thing. If it's more of a thinking, metaphorical type movie, it's, everything's very symbolic and it's honestly not very exciting. But that's my. I've been kind of in that mood for a lot of slower, slower paced and less plot driven movies. So, yeah, I've been. Yeah. I really liked it. It's my fifth favorite movie of the year. Just to say. All right, so uh, you guys have any last thoughts? What's the new movie we're doing next? Doing the Devil All the Time, which is the movie with uh, Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson, Jason Clark, Riley Coe, Mia Wasikowska, Sebastian. Fuck, who else is in this movie? Bill Skarsgård or Stellan Skarsgård? Which Skarsgård is it? It's Bill. Bill Skarsgård. Bill and Sebastian Stan. Yeah, and Sebastian Stan. Right. Um, it's a Netflix movie. We said we might pair it up with something else. We just haven't really picked yet, right? Yeah, not too sure yet. We're not fucking doing cuties. Don't even say that. You guys should go see Broken Hearts Gallery. We'll just do that. I don't want to keep going to the theater, buddy. <laughs> no one's there. It's all theater. Go see it on a Monday night at 9 p.m. It'll just be you. All right. <laughs> I'm going to cut this here because Ben, you said you needed to go. But um, yeah, watch The Devil All the Time. If we decide on a movie, we'll throw it in the description below where you can also find our letterbox links and you can also find our Twitter account at UTGL pod on Twitter. I almost forgot our at. Um, but yeah, I'll also, I'll also add in the um, what movies we're doing next week just to help you out. The Devil All the Time is on Netflix though, so you'll at least get that. It's free if you have Netflix. But that's it. That was our review and touch up on um, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And that's it for me. That's all I've got. Sorry it took like three weeks for this episode, but we were a little busy. All right. Farewell. Farewell. Sorry for taking so long in between episodes, but hopefully everyone's caught up now. I feel like we had a few weeks where we had a lot of long episodes. This one's still going to be pretty long. That's shorter than the last few ones. Yeah. All right. All right. Peace. Goodbye, everyone. Peace.